Welcome to Book to Where Two Guys Tell You About the Books They're Reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. This um, is the kickoff. So when you're hearing this, it's actually February of what we're going to call Rob Month. So we have <laughs> tonight we're reviewing Rob Hart. Next week we're reviewing Rob Roberge. The following week it's going to be a lot of Rob just talking. And then I don't know after <laughs> that. I don't, I don't know what we're doing after that, but I think we got to find a fourth or third, however you want to do it, another Rob to review. But uh, this week um, it is going to be City of Rose which is the follow-up to New York by Rob Hart. Um, here's a little bit about Mr. Hart. Um, he is the author of New York, the first Ash McKenna novel. He is the associate publisher at MysteriousPress.com and the class director at Lit Reactor. Previously, he has been a political reporter, the communications director for a politician, and a commissioner for the city of New York. Rob is the author of The Last Safe Place, a zombie novella, and his short stories have appeared in publications like Thuglet, Needle, Shotgun Honey, All Due Respect, and Helix Literary Magazine. He lives in New York City, which is not really that surprising. Oh, yeah. I think we're going to have a thing or two to say about New York during this uh, during this review. But first, how about a synopsis for the book? As an amateur PI with a bent moral compass, Ash McKenna is good at finding people but not at staying out of trouble. Between his own violent tendencies, the shadow cast by his father's death, and a self-destructive revenge quest, he made a mess of his life in New York City. Figuring it was a time for a change of scenery, Ash relocated to Portland, taking a job as a bouncer in a vegan strip club, and he hasn't had to hit anyone in six months. So, when one of the club's dancers asks Ash for help finding her daughter, he declines, content to keep the darkness in his past. But soon Ash is held at gunpoint by a man in a chicken mask, and told to keep away from the girls. Unfortunately, Ash isn't good at following directions either. As Ash navigates an unfamiliar city, he finds himself embroiled in a labyrinthine plot involving a ruthless drug cartel and a scandal that could reach one of the most powerful men in Portland. Ash is dead set on finding the missing girl, but realizes that in order to deliver her safely, he may have to cross the one line he promised himself he never would. Dun dun dun. This is a very fair, um, fair synopsis. So, um, yeah, la launching into the book right away. We're going to get right into this thing. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's months after the um, the book New York and, and the things that happened there. And <laughs> Rob actually had to tell me that a vegan strip club, that that's that's a thing actually in Portland. I know very I know less about Portland than I do about, say, I don't know, the U.K., if anybody's listened to this podcast before or knows I didn't, I know clearly know nothing about that one, but I know even less about Portland. But apparently that's a thing. That's a legit thing. Vegan you're talking about the vegan strip clubs? Yes. Uh you know what? And I was in Portland and I didn't get a chance to uh to sample any <laughs> I guess that's a bad word, but like uh to check out vegan there was two things I wanted to see. I wanted to see a vegan strip club and I wanted to go through, apparently in Portland, there's this big thing where there's like coffee places you go where women are basically next to naked. Like the baristas wear just pasties and, and like, like underwear, like panties or something like that. But I didn't get to. Right, so. yeah. I just imagine seeing a vegan strip club is no different than seeing a regular strip club. Uh, oddly enough, I mean, I've been to a couple strip clubs in Chicago and they, they don't have food. So I guess yeah. they're kind of vegan strip clubs, too, because there's no meat. Well, I mean, yeah, unless like, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine that their beverages really dive too deeply into meat or animal. I mean, if you really want to stretch it, um, 
I think we've, t- <laughs> I think we've hit this on a different, um, episode, but like really extreme vegans won't eat honey because of the way that honey is harvested and it harms the bees. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's just fucking weird. All right. Look, it's been a long time since I've been in a strip club in Chicago, but in Chicago, if there's nudity, you can't have alcohol or at least you couldn't. And I'm assuming that's right. still the case. So really, unless Sprite, <laughs> you know, or near beer has any type of animal content i don't know i don't want to think about it anyway vegan strip clubs are a thing which is a little weird to those of us who are from a normal city like chicago there are vegan strip clubs in portland and ash as it said in the synopsis is a bouncer in one of them so uh uh, essentially uh the idea is he's the kind of person that doesn't have the most marketable of skills because he spent a lot of his life just being kind of what did he say a blunt instrument and so um, he finds he finds his way into just being a bouncer at this place, which is kind of funny because his whole idea is he's going to stop being a violent person, but his skill set um, kind of leads towards jobs that require a little bit of, uh, of getting rough, and he has references uh, from his friends in New York that get him this job. So despite the fact that he's trying to go um, like Sam Jackson in Pulp Fiction, you know, like just walk the earth. I think that's the kind of thing he's trying to do. Um, he ends up still being a bouncer. So there's always kind of like the lingering threat of shit could go down. Yep. And while he's working as the bouncer at the vegan strip club, he kind of uh, keeps to himself. He, he's, you know, I think walk the earth is a good way to say it. He's got to keeps his head down or whatever. But um, it does get out that he might be able to help Crystal, who is one of the dancers, um, with her problem and her problem is a um you know kind of custody kidnapping i guess her the father of her child um picked up the kid from school and basically ran off with her and she cannot find her child now she's reluctant to call the police because of the line of work she's in and i'm assuming some of her kind of drug addict past and stuff she's afraid that the child will be taken away so we're uh you know, where I personally would just call the police, you know, she chooses to go a different route and see if Ash can help her find her, uh, her daughter, Rose. And he says, no, he straight up says, you know what? That's not my thing. You should call the cops and walks away. But, uh, almost immediately as he's on his walk back to his, uh, from work to his apartment, uh, he's thrown into the trunk of a car at gunpoint and threatened, um, to be killed if he doesn't stay away from Crystal and her missing child. So that kind of uh, pushes him in the direction of, well, obviously now she needs help and he's the type of person that can help and he doesn't like being pushed around by people. So he takes the case and shit is on. Yeah, quite honestly, I think the thing that happens there is what happens to a lot of us. Like there's a whole bunch of things I don't want to do until I'm told I can't. And then it's kind of a you know, fuck you. You know what? Maybe that's what we need to do with Ryan, the marketing intern. We, we tell him he can't with the Patreon thing about giving hand jobs. Oh, we, yeah. <laughs> we tell him you're not allowed to do that. And then you know I've been thinking about that. So for anybody who doesn't doesn't understand the <laughs> reference, there may have been implied that at a certain point we are making enough money that we are rich enough that we can pay people to give other people hand jobs. Here's the part that you missed, though, and here's the part where we screwed up. We said we we're going to pay somebody, and Ryan's the intern. Ryan doesn't get paid, so he's not even qualified, really, to do the handjobs. 
Oh, okay. Well, all right. That makes sense because... So, so it's like what? a labor thing more than anything. So, yeah, so, Ryan, guess what? You can't do the hand jobs. Yeah. You are not allowed to. That's right. We will not let you. Pay somebody. Yeah, we're actually going to right. pay somebody, a professional. <laughs> a professional hand jobber. That's right. Hand job angel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot about this. All right. So, not to get too much off track here. Um, I think I would be that way too. If someone was, it's, it's that like, uh, Someone tells you can't do something. That's the thing. That's the one thing you want to do, right? Well, yeah. Like, like I said, he was like, "Yeah, I don't think I want to get involved in this." And then someone pissed him off, and he's like, "You know what? I'm totally getting involved yeah. in this." Fuck Screw that guy. you! You're not going to tell me what to do. That's right. Yeah. So with that petulant decision, he is on the case. Yeah, and then we go through, um, you know, a, a, a bit of discovery and, and some looking for people and pissing other people off, and and I know we kind of rehashed a lot of what's in the. Um, synopsis but it's the kind of book where i don't i don't necessarily think that we talk a ton about you know plot it is what it is it's a pi story he's trying to find the kid clearly there'll be some twists and turns you know he's going to run into some trouble that type of thing and, and eventually there will be some you know discovery and some resolution yeah so we can talk a little bit about some of the characters um we already know about ash from new york to, and as well as what we've talked about in the synopsis so far Crystal, it's pretty straightforward. She was a junkie. She became a stripper. She had a kid with someone, and now that kid got taken for reasons unknown. Um, there's not a ton of, of really important characters in the book. I would say that the owner of the strip club, Tommy, is eh, kind of a secondary character. She's, she's really kind of... Um, that situation exists to kind of put crystal in in ash's life obviously but uh she's just a woman who decided to <laughs> i like her her backstory a little bit that you learned through the book is that she had the idea for a vegan strip club back when none of them existed but by the time she opened hers it was already a thing so she was like that person who had the idea but didn't didn't jump at it quick enough i thought that was pretty cool i still think it's weird that they have food in strip clubs i don't know <laughs> so you've never been to any strip club i know that some of them have like buffets and stuff i've i've only been in chicago and there was no food and no liquor. you went yeah you don't want to say the places you've gone to do you i i've, I've only been to the admiral yeah <laughs> so i don't I mean, that's i don't have a problem saying that it's, it's, it's a really nice place um there was a place downtown that was a bar and it was like lingerie dancers but that was just a bar i mean maybe they yeah. like or something, I don't know, peanuts, but yeah, I don't believe there was food there. When I was going to school um, downtown, that was a place we'd stop in for a drink occasionally. I've only been to a couple, and I so I will say, much like you, there was I have not been to one that food was served, but I've heard about like lunch buffets and stuff like that. Like, uh, <laughs> this is almost like uh, in Frank Sinatra in a blender where um, the strip club was serving food. You remember, like, there were some great scenes where he was like eating terrible food and getting into fights and getting drunk yeah, listen, and stuff. I'm not opposed to the concept. <laughs> like, I'm okay with it. It just seems weird to me, and that's maybe my Chicago heritage speaking. Yeah. Well, you know, Portland. It's a weird... It's a weird... That's a weird town. It is a weird town. Yeah. Um, and, and interestingly enough, through the course of the book, there's um, one of the things um, that Rob does really well is he, he just mentions weird situations or weird characters and not where it's really overblown, like you know he's trying really hard to drill the point home, but there's just little things that, that occur or that Ash sees through the course of the book that 
I've never been to Portland, but everything I've seen or read indicates that, that the things he talks about are, are very likely to have actually happened. Yeah, he does. He does uh, take some shots at hipsters multiple times. But like not, not nothing about don't like I don't think that there was even one mention of donuts, which is like most people. The first thing you think about with Portland is donuts. Uh, and I don't think that donuts I don't remember donuts coming up once. Do you remember any donut scenes? Um, I'm trying to search right now for in the Kindle. The most redeemable like ex- of my two two-ish days in Portland, like, one of the most redeemable qualities of the city is how good their donuts are. And I'm not talking about voodoo donuts, and everybody thinks it's the place to go, you know, whatever, to voodoo donuts. You gotta go to fucking uh, Blue Star. Those are, like, gourmet donuts. Um, so, but there was a visit to Powell's, and Powell's is another big, the bookstore, and that's another big part of Portland. That is, and um, I, I don't know, I mean, that I'll ever be in Portland, but I'll definitely keep in mind blue star donuts and uh, yeah <laughs> and powell's because i mean how many bookstores can can the average person name and i'm talking about not because it's the bookstore you go to down the street from your house but i mean powell's is the only one that comes to mind i can't right. think of a bookstore that's not barnes you know, and noble just, well yeah barnes and noble or you know some places in chicago that we've been at events or whatever that you know we're the only people that know of it's yeah powell's right. is a universal name in, in bookstores. But before we move on from the Powell thing really quick, did you notice um, that Ash goes, did you, did you recognize the book that Ash looked at when he was at Powell's? Um, this is a little Easter egg for our crime or our crime people. If I did, I don't remember. So he goes to the, he ends up wandering around looking for coffee and then he ends up in the crime section and he pulls a book from a shelf and he describes the book and he tells the title, but not the author. And the title is the hard bounce which is a book by Todd Robinson, um, who runs Thuglet. He works in, he's a New York City guy who, uh, they do the Noir at the Bar, uh, New York City together. And what else? I know Thuglet's the big thing. And he kind of looks, I was mistaken for him once by Dan O'Shea. <laughs> so we kind of have a similar look. These uh these things happen apparently. No, I remember thinking the hard bounce sounded familiar, but I, I couldn't place. I, I wouldn't have known it was Tob Robinson if you showed it to me on like a book cover. I knew Rob was I knew Rob was doing a little Easter egg there, so I looked it up just to make sure. But yeah, it was Todd Robinson's hard bounce. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, places like, set up in weird little rooms or something. I, yeah, I, I've never been, so I, I can't. Different uh, colored rooms with different types of yeah different genres or or categories or whatever. Yeah, the place is just a massive. Like if you imagine like this like four story like warehouse of a place, it's huge. I don't know if it's actually four stories, but it looks it's just massive. Yeah, I again, I don't know if it's worth a trip to Portland, but it would definitely be something I'd like to see, so that I could then go and buy all the books digitally that I saw there. <laughs> you don't sound super excited about going to Portland. <laughs> Read them on my Kindle. Um, yeah, no, it's not, I don't know. I, I guess I'm. I know I'm weird about some things. But Portland scares me in how weird it is, or at least how weirdly it's portrayed. I think I'd just be uncomfortable a lot of the time. I don't. I mean, we could do. Here's what. Here's what we got to do. We got to go to Portland, and we have to do a, uh, like, um, like a sightseeing tour of the Stud Book. No. 
<laughs> no, <laughs> you don't. It's the veto power. We both have veto power for ideas right. on this podcast. I'm pulling out the veto hammer. No. All right. Well, yeah, it was worth a try, I guess. Listen, I see the stud book every time you're having a beer at your place. <laughs> so, it's directly underneath. We should maybe get back to the story. Yes, yes. So let's get back to the story. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, other than that, it, it, it's, you know, story-wise, it, it's not that different from your typical kind of P.I., you know, as I mentioned, you know, there's going to be some discovery and we're going to be introduced to some kind of tertiary characters. And eventually there will be, you know, a resolution, good, bad or indifferent. It'll be resolved. Yep. Um, I think that, yeah, this is the type of story that you benefit from just kind of the whodunit reveal. So I don't know if we're going to talk too much more about the story. We might talk about individual moments, especially with quotes. Um, the bad guy is, what's his name? Wilson. Chris, is it Chris Wilson? Something yes. like that. It's a really plain that's, name. I believe that's it. Kind of the, the bad guy who's the guy in the chicken mask. The only reason I want to mention is because uh, he was attacked by a guy in a chicken mask right in the synopsis. So I want people to kind of know about that. Um, he ends up being the guy that uh, Ash is, is kind of squaring off against. He, you know, he's... Uh, tied in with like the one of the most powerful people in the city that was mentioned in the synopsis, and he's the guy that's making all making everybody's life terrible. So he's the one that uh, Ash has to to bring down in order to um, save the day for the girl and all that stuff. But uh, like Livia said, it runs through pretty much like you would expect it to. There's some, you know, they get some hints or clues, and then they, well, not clues, but they they pick up on evidence and they follow it out, and it's really a detective story. It's straight up a detective story. Not a lot of naked ladies in it either. Yeah, there were three, and all their names started with C. Yeah, which I thought was a clever little little touch. I like that. Um, I think that it bears mentioning or discussing a little bit, since this is the second book in a series. Either how this differed, or um, in some cases better, or not as good as the first one. Do you think that's that's a, a good good direction to go in now? Let's do that. That's the one direction I want to go in. One Direction. I wanted to make a boy band reference. <laughs> yeah. um, so here's what it was for me, and and I'm not, I'm still not sure I feel about this. So this is going to be one of those where we get to the wrap up, and, and I have to kind of make up my mind. One of the things that I loved about New York was the weird, different cliques. And I get it. There's there's boroughs, and you know they're kind of like the crime bosses of those those particular areas and stuff. And and it was one of my favorite things about New York. Um, that didn't happen in Portland. And I understand Portland's a different um, geographic area and maybe there's not as much of that. So maybe a little bit of that was replaced with some of the quirky Portland stuff. But I, I it, it kind of wanted it to be there and I understand why it wasn't. But it, it had a very different, I don't know, the whole overall had a very different feel to it. Do you agree? I'll give you that. Like maybe if there was a rival vegan strip club that they were warring with as a side story or something like that. Like That would have been fucking brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you know what our Portland-based story is going to be about. Yep. Um, yeah, there's definitely not as much like uh, it, it's really. And all right, so I'll kind of go on. My reflection at the end of the book is very similar to you, but in a different way. Where um, the thing I liked about the book was that it was so focused on essentially two people, two point five, because the little girl. But basically, it was a story about Ash and Crystal. And everything else was very much in the background. So, whereas there was so much stuff going on with different plot lines, with like the uh, the weird game 
and the warring factions and the you know, murder investigation in New York to this was just just laser focused on just one story basically. I agree with all of that. Um, one of the other things that felt a little differently was even though um, Ash is introspective, I guess, maybe. Is that a word, introspective? Am I saying that right? That is. Where he's I kind don't of know if that's what you mean. Like, but... <laughs> like, yeah, if he's, he's kind of, you know, he's, he's looking at himself and trying to make these decisions on trying to be better. Um, the first one was a lot darker. He had just lost, you know, the, the woman that he loved, and, and he was in a really, really dark place. So this felt a little lighter-hearted, if that makes sense, at least from his character. I'll so. give you that, but it is kind of there. Still, is that self-loathing that's interwoven? Because, like, in the first, so in the first book in New York, he was basically just like uh, violence brought on by raw emotion. Whereas in this one, he's like the kind of quiet brooding brought on by self-hatred. So he's definitely mm-hmm. tame and calmed down. But it's that there's like there's still an inner turmoil, but it's so inwardly focused. It's like it's like he went in the opposite direction. Yes. Yeah. So it's a very, very different feel, which, you know, I mean, how, how do you do this? I said it's our mixed up. It's, it's kind of good and, and bad. Right. So when you're in a series, you kind of want to read more of the same guts a book, but you want different stories. Right. And in this, I think the guts changed as well as the, the, the story. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'll give you that. Um, but it plays well for a character arc because um, the whole idea with with this is that he's trying to find. He's trying to find out who he really is and, you know, to not hate himself. Or he's he's basically kind of resigned to hating himself. But, like, as the book goes on, maybe that changes. So, but yes, I agree. Like, in a series, typically you'd expect it to be like, this guy's already kind of established and we refer to his history instead of like, we're kind of going through his history right now, it feels like. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I do want to say one thing in the synopsis that maybe I'm going to I'm going to disagree about. And maybe you've convinced me otherwise. It says he has a bent moral compass. And I don't know that I really felt that in this book or in the first book. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I think that he because it seems like he's got a clear idea of what's right and what's wrong. He just doesn't care as much about whether he does a bad thing. Right. Would you agree with that? Well, but no, but I think, yeah, I no, because I, I think he does things that, you know, all right, maybe are morally questionable or whatever, but he does them for the right reasons. So in the first book, he's hunting down a murderer. This one, he's trying to, like, save a child. So let's analyze, like, what things do you have to do that are that bad when you're trying to save a child who's been kidnapped? And, and I'm not going to expose any more of the plot, but not just kidnapped by his father, but we find out other things have happened, right? Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Um so you're saying so you don't think that he has a bent moral compass at all? He's got like a, like a, like a really straight moral. <laughs> I don't know what the opposite of a bent moral compass. Yeah, would be. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, here's the whole thing. So, so, and and this is I, I'm I'm clearly gonna poke at this you know in, in kind of a more making fun way, but he's like, oh, I don't want to kick this guy in the head because it's the wrong thing to do, but he's doing it in the course of trying to rescue a, a little girl who who could very well be in danger and at a minimum was separated from her from her mother. Be right. like, so, trouble, like resolving this, like I have to punch this guy in the face four times. Yeah, I guess if you replace him with like a police officer whose like job it is to do that, they have no hesitation in in doing violence for if it's if it's called you know if it's called for. Yeah. So in well, that yeah, case, in defense, yeah, defense of others. Yeah, in defense yeah. of others. Like, this is what, yeah. So that's that so, was my only other thing I really had. 
I'll give you that. I will give you that. Now, uh, are you? Re- do you have some quotes? I do have some quotes, as a matter okay. of fact. I've got a couple as well. Um, why don't you... Uh, I only have a couple of quotes, so why don't you get started, and um, I'll get mine ready. Sure. Um, I, I like this one because I, I, I felt this way about people and food. Now, I, I like eating as much as anybody else does, but I'm a big, like, cheeseburger hot dog guy, so... Um, this is uh, this is Ash. So the whole book, I don't think we mentioned this is first person. So a lot of what we're saying is going to be Ash's inner dialogue, or at least a lot of my quotes, I imagine, will be Ash's inner dialogue. I have yet to eat a bad meal I didn't cook myself. Every menu in this town includes at least one instance of the word artisanal. Like if you aren't making your own pickles, you may as well give up. That was I really enjoyed that quote. The whole pickles thing. Thought it was great. Yep. I'm going to roll through another one if you're in the event that you're still getting ready. Here's something I find a little funny, even though I probably shouldn't. This is not the first time I've been forced into a trunk, so I'm way less nervous than this asshole probably thinks I am. He, all right, that's, that's, <laughs> and then if you follow that scene along, isn't there a part where he's like, he does a couple things and he's like, then I just got comfortable. Yep. <laughs> that's so good. That was really good too. All right, so my first one is going to be a little bit, I think, more description than actual quote, but there's a point where uh, the trail of breadcrumbs leads ash to a a garage where some cartel people it's like a front for a cartel and he they kind of get the drop on ash and they want to know how much he knows about their operation and what they're going to do is they're going to put an air compressor in in a place that's usually for things coming out instead of things going in right in his ass okay. his ass. <laughs> I don't know. I was I was delicate on that one, um, and and so, and then a big fight, you know, because obviously he doesn't want that. So, big fight happens, and he's this is when he's telling Crystal about it later on. Um, <laughs> they because uh, like the fight happens and Ash gets away basically, and and uh, he ends up breaking someone's kneecap, and then he has this big ass wrench and he hits a guy in the head with it, and. It, all indicators lean toward he just killed that guy with the wrench. Um, so he's explaining to Crystal, and this is right after they left, and she says, do you think they're following us? Doesn't look like it. There were only two of them, I think. Busted one of their kneecaps, brained the other with a wrench. Ash, are you fucking kidding me? They did try to tear a hole in my colon. When you're threatened with something like that, the rules of engagement go out the window. So that's what I'm talking about, Benton Moral Compass, right? Like, you know, I mean, like, yeah, like, that's that's a fair time to really beat the shit out of somebody. Anybody jumps me and threatens to put an air compressor in my BH, there's wrenches are going to go everywhere. That's all I'm saying. This one's a little longer, um, but it, it's probably my favorite passage in the book. Bone deep anger, the kind that's imprinted onto your DNA by a catastrophic event, is like a bag of sand. It weighs you down. Sometimes so much it takes your breath away and you can't think of anything to do but beat someone to death with it. And also the sand is a slow acting poison because this metaphor isn't belabored enough. All right, there's uh, another great scene. Here's what I like about Ash McKenna and maybe about Rob Hart. I don't know. This could just be his character. This could be his thing. So we talked about belaboring metaphors. We talked about making fun of people who are really into uh, fancy food. Um, This one, there's a, a point where a couple is trying to bring a baby into the strip club. And Ash stops them and, you know, they're why and, you know, and they have this argument. Uh, 
So ultimately he says, well, the baby isn't 18 and you have to be 18, which is the best argument, right? But at one point, the, the first part of that, this is the, the woman talking to Ash. The female form isn't something to be ashamed of, the girl says. I can tell it's something she's wanted to say for a very long time. I know some people I feel exactly that way about. Like they're just waiting to, to make a statement like that for the right opportunity. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just absolutely love that that whole exchange between uh, between him and the couple. But that line in particular is great. Yeah, and if you want to talk about like an indictment of the type of people that live in Portland, I think that scene was probably one of the better indicators of of what you could expect from a person that lives in Portland. That kind of outrage for the sake of outrage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do I get to do the puke quote now? Yeah, I think I think this is a good time for oh, it. Oh man. Because that woman makes me want to vomit. One of my favorite, probably my favorite individual scene in the entire book. Um, uh, This is such comedy, but not comedy in a way there where I don't think it was written as comedy. I think it was written as a real scene, but like it was so entertaining the whole ride. And this is a whole page. So I apologize if this is a little bit rough, but man. So basically uh, they find in, in kind of like a drug house, um, this guy who knows the baby daddy and they bring him back to uh, Ash's apartment to kind of pump him for information. Not the way that the cartel was going to pump Ash for information, but he's all like drugged out and they're trying to get him like wake up, like bring him to his senses. So um, Ash decides he's going to put him in the shower and put the cold water on to kind of like bring him to his senses and it backfires. (laughs) Oh, this is so good. His eyes go blank, and I know this look from how much time I spend in bars. Uh, but I don't have enough time to twist out of the way before he vomits about a gallon of foul liquid that collects where my hands are gripped onto his shirt. The smell hits me, sea animals rotting on the beach, and the feeling starts as a scratch at the bottom of my esophagus. I turn to Crystal to tell her to get out, but before I can get the words out, I'm puking on Thaddeus, screaming chunks onto his face, because unfortunately for Thaddeus, I'm taller than he is. <laughs> this makes Thaddeus puke more which makes me puke more. In my peripheral vision, Crystal is stumbling out of the bathroom, her hand over her mouth, and I think we've saved ourselves from her blowing chunks too, but she retches in the kitchen. I slam my eyes shut, hold my breath, and push both of us further into the freezing water to clean off. Try to think about anything but puking, which of course means I can't think of anything but puking. Thaddeus is still going too. Sense prevails, and I turn him around and look at the white plastic wall of the shower stall, focus on my breathing, and let him finish. <sighs> that is really a, a great scene. And so I good. That highlighted too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I'm going to disagree with you. I think that maybe it was written a little bit with a comedic. Because uh, <laughs> Rob, when Rob's funny, Rob's funny. Like it's, he is, he is. So he he has he has a good touch with uh, with humor in in these books. And this actually has a piece uh, that he uses throughout, which I thought was good. Like sometimes you notice. Like, David James Keaton will say something in a way, and then, like, six other times in his story, he'll say something very similar. And Rob used the whole try to think about anything but uh, several times throughout the book, and I thought it worked super well. Because, like, it's that whole, like, that's the only thing you're going to be able to think about now. So, I I like this quote, this scene, probably as much as, remember that spanking scene, Livius, from uh, Disintegration that you wouldn't shut up about? Could I forget? You well, you probably still won't shut up about it, but like that's I read it every night before I go to sleep. (laughs) 
that's really creepy. But uh, I think that's how I feel about the puking scene. I know yours is a little sexier than mine, but man, it was <laughs> well, just such a good scene. Depends on what your thing is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that one uh, Korean girl whose videos you love, she might have a nice puking scene like that in one of her videos. Shori, I love Shori. All right, please continue, sir. Um, you know, my other ones aren't quotes so much as to say, um, I really liked, I guess this line is, is pretty good because I, I, I say something very similar. Um, I, I'm not even going to open up. One of the characters says to Ash, but you need to know I rolled my eyes so hard I pulled something. I love that because I've told people like I rolled so my eyes so hard I thought I had an aneurysm. Yeah, I think it's, I used the, I detached a retina. Yeah, so yeah. that's great stuff. The other thing I'm going to say is, and I'm going to say this about Ash McKenna. Here's the quote. Um, he's He's in somebody's whatever. Um, whatever he's looking at the, the books the person owns it says the only books he has are by Ayn Rand so I know for sure he's an asshole I have to imagine that Ash McKenna has not actually read any Ayn Rand and I know I'm talking about a fish, fictional character so it's quite possible that it could be penned in that he's read every Ayn Rand I, was, I still have that Ayn Rand thing bugs me because you know what I don't know a lot about her her actual politics or her beliefs god damn it I really liked two of her the two of her books that I read a lot so I'm going to go with people who say things like that about Ayn Rand probably didn't read Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged. I, I mean, I can't, I, I have no stance. I have no ground on this one because I haven't read any of her stuff, but um, I, I'm just going to point to the fact that you're also a bigot apologist. There might be, there might be a correlation between those two things. <laughs> it's possible. It could be. I'm not going to say that that isn't possibly true. I'm just going to say I like the books. So um, that's all I've got. Cool. Let's wrap this shit up. All right. Um, I really liked New York and um, I was very much looking forward to reading this book and it did not disappoint. Um, you know, we talk about from time to time about accessibility and this book is um, super accessible to, to anybody. So we a lot of times we, you know, we review books from smaller presses and, you know, and it's not Stephen King we're reviewing or, or not something that's likely to end up on the bestseller list. And, you know, sometimes we talk about it on the air, sometimes we talk about it off the air. Like, it's a great book, but it just doesn't have that mass appeal. And, and Rob Hart, um, I, I think he's really in that mass appeal place. So, yeah, it, it just it makes it makes the books easy to read. And I'm not saying that like, oh, this is on the fourth grade level. It, it, they're, they're easy. I didn't have to put this book down at all and walk away from it, which I've had to do with books that I love where I go, OK, I, I just need a break. So I read this probably in three sittings. It's not a super long book. But it's easy to keep turning the pages and keep reading. Um, they remind me a little bit, and this is not a, you know, I don't think it's a ripoff, but they're a little bit in the style of like the Jack Reacher novels. You've got the kind of lone character who um, winds up in these weird situations in different places. And that formula works. It works. I mean, you know, Lee Child is making gazillions of dollars on uh, on that. And I think that as Rob Hart expands on this series, um, he's going to see more success with it. It's uh, very reader accessible. The challenge is going to be getting it out in front of enough people. I think the people that pick this up will enjoy it and will pick up another Ash McKenna book. I know I'm going to. Um, you know, we talked earlier about kind of the change in style from the, I don't know, the the multiple group thing, which worked really, really well. Um, I, I like this book. You know, it was, it was a little, it was different enough from the first one to not be the same thing rehashed. Um but I would love to see a return to that, too. So all in all, super enjoyable book. I'm going to give it four and a half stars. All right. That's pretty high praise from Livius. Um, 
here's my thoughts on the book. So we read and we enjoyed New York. Um, and thinking about wrapping this up for you, one of the things that occurred to me was the very beginning of the book starts with a punch. Um, which is interesting because this, this, the focus of the book is so much on him not being a violent person. So they start with a scene where it was kind of cool because, like, you start with a punch and you're like, all right, we're right back into it. But he morphs that scene into a situation where he avoids violence because he's taking a different path. So with one scene at the very beginning of the book, he sets up kind of the tone of what you're going to get throughout the entire book, which I thought was a really masterful way of changing direction. Just through one simple scene, he kind of turned the entire – he took a turn – with the way the narrative was expected to go. I thought that was really good. Um, I read the book in two sittings, got through half of the book the first night, and I kept, I was in that kind of situation where I was like, maybe I should go one more chapter, maybe I should go one more chapter. Um, but then I had to kind of shut it down. And then um, the thing that I noticed is, the next day when I picked it up, I was excited to continue the story. So it's a very compelling story that you just wanted to continue to read. Uh, and an easy read. Rob writes in a way that's very accessible. Um, the characters are good, and I think this one, I I was able to get more of an emotional attachment to um, Ash this time around. I think that in the last one there was so much um, tumult, you know, it was just so much violence and chaos going around that the ability to identify with the character was just a little out of reach. Whereas with this one, it was so, like I said before, laser focused on these two characters that um, I really started to care about Ash. And I won't reveal what happened, but there was, you know, at the very end, I got I got teared up. I'm not going to lie. This was something where there was a real emotional impact for me. So uh, I like the direction that this took. I think that one of the things about the Ash character that makes him unique against all the other kind of PI slash, you know, I guess this could almost be like in the um, thriller-ish kind of genre is that he has such a, uh, a vulnerability um, and that really came through this time. So uh, it was a lot less of the bravado and the that type of stuff and more of the actual like what makes this character complex. So um, yeah, I dug this story a lot and it was just... I just constantly wanted to keep reading it to get through to the end of it. Um, everything worked. I thought it was great. Great characters, great story, great humor. One of the best puking scenes I've ever read, ever. And, I mean, we've read a lot of Pablo de Ster, <laughs> so it's not, like, it's not like this was the first puking scene I've ever read. Um, yeah, so I, I liked it a lot. Livius is dead on. This is a four-and-a-half star book. I didn't mention in my uh, in my wrap up, but yeah, yeah, it got pretty emotional towards the end there. And and again, I was surprised because, and not to add on to the to the wrap up, but um, let's face it. I mean, I think we get it. Like he he moved cities, he's going to move cities again, right? Like this is going to be the style of book. So you know that I'm not saying it's the way it's going to sound, but you know a lot of the characters are just kind of disposable characters, one one time deals. You know, I don't know that we'll see Crystal again. You know what I mean? So, right, right. but for there to be that kind of like emotional impact towards the end, you know, speaks volumes to, to the story that was put together prior to it. Yep. So I agree. Um, yeah. All right. Um, let's talk about the other thing now. Yeah, we can talk about the other thing. We had to uh, get through the legit book review before we uh, 
kind of answered a challenge. I'm, I'm looking at this as we're answering a challenge, right? Apparently. <laughs> Rob had to spend a page <laughs> shit-talking Chicago. Yeah. Now, here's the thing that occurred to me, because Rob and I um, had uh, the, the, the somewhat rare booked meeting slash dinner prior to recording this, and, and it came up in conversation. Um, that that he took a a, a few shots at, at Chicago pizza specifically. Now, having lived in Chicago in the Chicagoland area my entire life, I've got to tell you the only other place I was really exposed to pizza was in Romania. <clears throat> so my yeah. uh, my barometer for pizza is a little off, right? Like I only know the 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 the, the pressure in Chicago, <laughs> not yeah, really yeah. to what it is in the rest of the place, but. Chicago pizza is pretty good, right? Dude, all right. Well, here's the thing. Like, I, I like you, have not, and I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is a cultural thing where, where, uh, but we'll talk about that. But I haven't been exposed to lots of other pizza off, like, <laughs> but I mean, for me, the, the big thing for me was I'm reading this and I'm like, oh my God, he's shitting on Chicago pizza. And then I was like, wait a minute, New York is known for pizza at all? I didn't even know that was a thing got an awful lot of italians so i mean i have to imagine yeah. the that there's pizza there but yeah i don't think anybody talks about new york pizza apparently unless you're from new york yeah you gotta be a new york like that's the thing and like i think there's a a cultural difference where like uh i'm trying to think of the best way to say this like there it, it almost seems like there's a need to say that we're the best at this and we're the best at that coming from new york even well, if it's it, something it, so simple like um, like if, if someone has a really good pair of socks they bought in a New York store, they're going to be like, oh, your Chicago socks are fucking lame because okay. they're not from New York. You know what I'm saying? I'm not that familiar with New York. I, I, I know some things that I've heard from other people. So <laughs> give me an example. What, what is something New Yorkers like? Because uh, apparently pizza, I had no idea. Is there something that New York is actually known for other than smelling like this? <laughs> well, I know I know for sure that New York claims has the claim for bagel like bagels is a big thing for new york like apparently their bagels are great <laughs> okay I, I guess now all right so bagels is so did panera bread is did did their bagels start in new york do we know this for a fact because i'm pretty sure <laughs> those are good no actually um i know for a fact panera is a st louis uh, oh, company. But, but St. Louis has the best bagels. I don't even see how this is a thing. I can argue. Because you've had Panera bagels, right? I do. They're wonderful. They're, they're fucking fun. every Tuesday. Yeah. They're on sale. It's like seven ninety nine for thirteen of them. They're fucking delicious. <sighs> yeah, and you know what? I have to imagine that the ones that I really like, the ones that I grew up on, the bagels that I grew up on, were those like you buy them in the freezer. They're in like a bag of six. Those lenders bagels. Oh, those, those are really good too. Those have to be from New York because they are the best bagels that I've ever in had. In which case, then, I mean, if all the bagels there are like Lenders bagels, yeah, then, then maybe they've got something. I mean, Panera's Panera's really good, but you know, Lenders you can just <laughs> get them at the grocery store. Yeah, so. you can just go to the grocery store and then you throw them in your freezer, and they're good for like you could pull one out six months later. You don't have to pretty worry sure, about. Pretty sure. I'm pretty sure in a freezer, it's unlimited. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anything gets blown in the freezer, so they so don't have to go maybe. to New York. Thanks, New York, for sending those all the way out, too. Now, now I have to find out if Lenders Bagels came from New York, because you're on to something. Lenders yeah. Bagels. Um, 
origin. <laughs> I mean, it might be the only person that's ever looked up the origin <laughs> of Lenders Bagels. Hold on. There's an about us. Oh, good, good. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, 85 years. Crunchy on the outside, chewy on the inside. Perfect. The Lenders story with graphics. What is this? Ooh. The Lenders Bagel story. We at Lenders are pleased to present a story the whole family can enjoy. Oh, God. All right. This is going to be. So there's no sex in this story because the whole family can enjoy it. Eh, you know, the kids can enjoy some sex, too. It depends on what kind of family. <laughs> oh, that's going at the beginning. Here it is. He moved to New Haven, Connecticut, where he founded one of the nation's first bagel bakeries outside of New York City. So does that count? It says outside of New York City. Uh, but okay. it sounds like he came from New York City, right? Man, Let's or see, like he set up shop right outside New York just to piss him off. There's something about Chippa. Oh, I think I'm reading the I think my inflection is wrong that it's one of the best places outside of New York City. So he's, oh. he's, uh, he's in Connecticut, that's where the lender guy was. And uh, yeah. that's close enough. We'll call it a New York bagel. And he's got something called Chippa, <laughs> which might be Muslim. I'm Ch- not sure. Chippa, Chippa, how do you spell that? C-H-U-T-P-A-H. I've already flipped through the little diagram. Oh, like, oh, isn't that Chutzpah? I don't know. That's a Chutzpah? Chutzpah? I don't know. Maybe that's New York. Like, isn't that, hang on. Cheese or something. I'm going to look up that word now. I really, I want to give New York a, 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 a fair, you know, I want to give them the opportunity, you know, to be what they claim they are. You want to give them a fair oh. sh- like the the quality sh- of audacity, good for good or for bad, chutzpah c h u t z p a h. Yeah, that might have been a z. This thing's really weird to look at. You don't understand. It's like How on a page, and it's like a little book. It's yeah, chutzpah. I don't know. All right, whatever. So thanks, New York, for having. Um, <clears throat> I guess Connecticut is close, right? We'll call that New York. We'll so call it a suburb of New York. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah. there you go. For those lenders bagels, those are the best. Um, I think it's just pizza and bagels. So if you made a pizza bagel, <laughs> they probably is that, the pizza. Bagel. Is that where they're from? That has to be where they're from. <laughs> I'm not going to do any more research on bagels today. I'm done. <laughs> <sighs> you know, Dunkin' really, Donuts bagels are really good too. Yeah, those are good, and they yeah, I like the way that when you go to Dunkin' Donuts and you order a bagel, they just like. They put the cream cheese in, in between the two slices and just put it together like a sandwich so I don't have to get all messy with my cream cheese. And uh, bodega cats. That's a thing, too. Bodega cat. Well, first of all, bodegas are a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I and thought apparently. Like, I thought like bodega cats was like some kind of like <laughs> weird jazz band or something. I don't know. Like, I had to look up the bodega cats. Yep. Um, yeah. I don't know. Like, see, and here's going back to kind of my overall thought. Like, I love Chicago. I think Chicago is a great city, but I don't go around comparing it to the rest of the world because, like, I have the presence of mind to understand that, like, it's it's not like not everything measures against Chicago, right? No. How could it? Right. Well, then, exactly. I, I'm not. A, I'm not a huge like. You know, I, I grew up in Chicago. I, I love yeah. it. where I grew up, but yeah, I'm not a big fan. You know. Of, like, I don't feel like I have to go around the world telling everybody that Chicago is better at this and that. No, but I'm pretty sure we just did exactly that. We're, well, no, I don't think we did. Like, because I could have been like, Chicago is way better at shooting innocent victims than a lot of places. or And guilty ones. Guilty ones. and gu- Yeah, that's true. Guilty ones. Let's, let's be fair. <laughs> I mean, I could say that. I mean, there's a lot of 
unique things about Chicago, but I don't go around like you know bragging about it because that's different. That that's what makes it different. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Chicago, I guess New York does. They are the best at trying to make New York sound better than everybody else. Well, there you go. Rob figured out what New York is the best at. So that's all right. I think we have one listener in New York, and that's Rob Hart. So I don't think we're yeah. actually gonna offend anybody. <laughs> Except for Rob Hart, and that's okay. I'm okay with that. Um, other topics. So we only got one other thing, I think, to, to talk about because we, we're running a little past um, schedule here. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Helmick shared this. I'm not laughing at Kevin. I, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around this. Kevin Helmick shared a link on his Heartland Gothic page um, earlier today that was a link to, and this is the title of... I was going to say a book, but it's not even really a book. I guess we'll get into that a little bit. (laughs) This is the title. Paid Reviews. Amazon Kindle book author buys paid customer reviews, sells 1 million books. Writer number two buys own book 173 times, gives five-star reviews, hits number one bestseller list. That's the title of this publication that's available right now for $2.99 on Kindle or free with the Kindle Unlimited app or account, whatever you call it. Are you, are you familiar with this? No, I'm, this is, I'm learning about this for the first time. Okay. Charity Milan. And, and the reason I say I can't really call this a book cause it's 43 pages. Um, wrote a book called, you know, I'm not going to say it again. <laughs> so All that shit. Yeah. Rewind. And here is, um, here is a Part of the synopsis, which actually includes a chapter breakdown, because in those 43 pages, there are five chapters. Um, Delve inside this fascinating long-ass title, insert long-ass title here, to uncover the secretive world of paying for popularity. From writers who tap out quick Kindle books and then pay people via Fiverr, Craigslist, Elance, Odesk, or other sites... To those who use independent websites designed for buying reviews, the act of getting book reviews by paying for them is a hot one. Commonly debated in the Kindle forums and online, especially since it was uncovered that Yelp paid for reviews. Take a look at how paying for book reviews helped one Amazon author sell more than one million books, while another who bought his own book 173 times and left his own reviews via multiple Amazon accounts got his book removed from the online retailing giant. Five chapter breakdown after that. So really what happened is somebody wrote a pamphlet. A pamphlet is the right word to use here, right? At 43 pages. I mean, that's one hell of a pamphlet, but sure, we can go with that. Okay, a really long pamphlet. Um, (laughs) And is selling it. And it's about how other authors took and paid for reviews and made a bunch of money. Um, Right now, I will tell you that their bestseller rank so not using clearly not using their own advice, they are one million one hundred and fifty eight thousand nine hundred and eighty two paid in the Kindle store. Um yeah. I don't know how many books are in the Kindle store, but I have to imagine it's right around that number. <laughs> it would be really funny if theirs was last, like dead last. Yeah. Um I don't know how Kevin came across this, but I thought it was it was interesting to mention. Um Somebody trying to make money off how some people try to make money. I, like, I don't, it, it's like this weird kind of incestuous kind of thing going on here. Yeah. But it's got three reviews. All of them are four stars. All I'm going to say, I don't know if you've looked at our Amazon ranking lately, Livius, for the booked anthology. Have you? Uh, no. Where do you, I, don't, I don't, I don't think I want to know. Before you, before you look, 
Would you guess that we are doing better or worse than that? Man, um, I'm going to go with better because now that I look, this has been out for over two years. So I can't imagine it's getting a lot of traction lately. Not not that our <laughs> book would be either. Well, our book's been out for over two years. so um, Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, if this was more recent, I would say this was higher. But So, is... right. I, I see what you're saying. Now, would you guess that we are, uh, our rank is above one million or below one million? I'm going to go above one million. Oh, man, you are wrong. We are 651,347 paid boom oh oh i'm sorry that, that that's what i meant and when i meant above one million i meant as closer like better to, than yes sorry so yeah i was i was gonna if you asked me to guess i was gonna throw out like eight hundred thousand as okay. a number. so even better than that which is awesome so yeah well i think what we should do now is write is write a book that's called how to be above one million <laughs> amazon rankings <laughs> that's uh, but yeah. it needs a much longer title than that right yeah well yeah obviously and a lot of keywords right in the title, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to read uh, a review. Uh, the nice thing about this book is that the author gives writers like me an honest alternative to getting reviews. He explains why people did what they did and how they suffered for it and instructs us rather to go the KDP Select route by offering a free promo for your novel. You will garner readers and reviews. Although there is a risk, but I think most writers would rather know the truth about their books than all praise and no sales. I found it easy to read and simple to follow. It was well worth the price. That's from Wendy Rosenberg from uh, from a year and a half ago. Oh, you know, Wendy Rosenberg, the, the best-selling author, right? Yeah, I'm going to click and see what happens. I click on Wendy Rosenberg's name. Let's look at Wendy Rosenberg. Oh, Wendy Rosenberg apparently is a guy. Oh, look at Richard yeah. Smiraldi. Yeah, he holds a degree in Yiddish, in Yiddish, in Yiddish literature, in English literature from the <laughs> King's College. I wanted to paint the shallow lives of the rich and the demons that haunt them. My latest novel is an urban paranormal mystery filled with a bevy of ghouls, be they vampire, werewolf, detective, <laughs> or voodoo, or voodoo psychic root worker. In the book, you are time traveling and take a trip down the scary, dark, disturbing streets of the. Oh, hold on, I gotta see more. Of the Soho art scene. My writing, I am told, <laughs> reads like a 1950s film noir with lovable, likable characters you will want to get to know. There are twists and turns, heists, robberies, thieves. Don't worry. They only want your soul. <laughs> yeah, don't worry, because if they wanted my wallet, I'd be really freaked out. My uh, soul. Shit. Theft and unrequited love, the worst horror of them all. I write from my life. <laughs> and so many of the details and descriptions are very real because they come from genuine place in my heart. <laughs> Oh, no. Um, so in his life, apparently he deals with vampires, werewolves, <laughs> burning underwear. I don't I don't uh, fucking I don't unrequited love and unre lots of unrequited love. Um, all right. Hold on. There's a there's a link to Facebook to a page, a book called Death and Disappearances. Oh, oh, where, where is this? Oh, I see it. There it is. Let's 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 check this out. I was going to look at some of the things he's reviewed, but as I was scrolling down, let's death and disappearances and urban paranormal. All right, here we go. It links. Then I got a link back to Amazon for the book. Here's the here's the synopsis for <sighs> death and disappearances, a tale of horror and the occult, money, crime, death, unrequited love <coughs> and, <laughs> and voodoo with a little paranormal in the mix best characterized this book when montgomery clark wakes up two weeks after his wife's disappearance he finds a bump on the back of his head a painting done by his artist wife missing 
and a note in his own handwriting which reads, You killed my sister, now I'll murder you. Pinned to the wall and a dead sparrow in his dresser drawer. He, re- he realizes he must solve the mystery of his wife's disappearance or face charges. He scrolled down and I want to read, and I'm, I'm taking this a little bit out of context because it's just the second paragraph of a review of this book. This book was confusing in nearly every aspect. I couldn't tell if Petulia and Odette had switched places or not. Which one was really the vampire and what did that have to do with the story? (laughs) Even the bird and the time travel didn't make sense or seem relevant. The story was just all over the place and didn't have any kind of structure. It left me with more questions than answers. Dude, and that's still a three-star review. That was, yeah, so it must have been really good because of that kind of... Oh, man, I don't know if this is the way you wanted this conversation to go, but I don't know if it could have gotten better. Um, He is ranked higher. This book is ranked higher than the one that started it. (laughs) So it's 874,000. Yeah, (laughs) clearly. He has 30 reviews, so I don't know if they're paid or not. We're still doing better than him, though, so that's good. That's uh, that's all that matters. So at any rate, I thought that was kind of an interesting... Man, the things that pop up, and I'm, I'm constantly amazed at the... You know, we talked about this before, like like the erotica, the the backdooring, the brat we read. It really felt, and so is this. It almost feels like like a money grab, right? Like I'm gonna write this, I'm gonna throw something out there. It's super short. I'm gonna charge a couple bucks for it, and I'm gonna try to to make um I'm, I'm gonna try to make werewolf or uh, bigfoot porn money out of having this idea. And it's it's a beautiful world we live in because anybody can put something on there. But that being said, whenever you put something out there, it is subject to you know, <laughs> other people kind of judging it. So yeah, I, I always hate judging a book without reading it. But I think that on this one, I don't I don't need to read <laughs> either one of these books that we just talked about. Um, uh, you know, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, it is what it is. It, it's nice that, that it, in a world where, you know, this person would have been handing out Xerox copies 30 years ago on street corners or like trying to put them at the at the bodega. <laughs> Like as a free take me and <laughs> underneath, read underneath the cat. Yeah, that you know that that you can get your your work in people's hands. So God bless you guys. I have written zero books that are published on Amazon. So um, these two guys are, are a little bit ahead of my personal Amazon sales. Yeah, give it up. That book's got three hundred eighty six likes on Facebook. That's um that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Death and disappearances. We'll not be reviewing this here on the podcast. Wonder if it takes place in New York. <laughs> it must. They said it was vampires and werewolves in the same yeah. place. Yeah. So. New York's got the best vampires, I will say. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you want to wrap this up? I was good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we probably should before I say something <laughs> I'll regret. Um, all right, continuing on with Rob Month. Um, next week, we will have Rob Roberge's memoir. So Rob and I go back and forth on this. I guess it is technically the second nonfiction book we'll be reviewing after, I don't know, 6,000 episodes or whatever we're at now. Um, I don't know. You want you want the early preview, Rob? Because I read this. I'm done. I'm done with it. Um, should, should I should I spoil our, our, my, my review a little bit? No. Fair enough. Nope. Keep it a mystery, buddy. I'm going to keep it a mystery. Although, but... I mean, it is a Rob Robert's book, so I'm guessing yeah. that it's going to be a favorable review. Uh, I'm going to say is um, I got to knock off. I had to read in fucking paper for fuck's sake. It's 2016. I was going to say it's 2015, but that would have been a little inaccurate. Yeah, that's why I read it, because we had one book to share between us. So um, but we had to meet and uh, swap swap the book out. Um, so, yeah, I'm really... Meet. 
really looking forward to it. I will tell you, I only have a couple quotes because taking pictures with my phone just wasn't working for me as, as a as a way to get quotes this time. Um, so I'm going to depend pretty heavily on Rob, who will have the paper copy in his hands uh, this time next week when we review it. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up uh, for this episode. Come back next week. Hear what we have to say about Rob's memoir as part of our Rob Ruary. Can we call it Rob Ruary? We can totally call it Rob Ruary because it's fun <laughs> Rob to say. Ruary. Uh, <laughs> all right. Come on back next week. Until that time, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livius. Keep reading. <laughs>